two places, Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 6. Matthew 7 and Luke chapter 6. Towards the end of Matthew 7, verse 24 uh, to the end. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Then Luke 6, again, the end of Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. It's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. When the flood arose and the streams beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like the man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. The New King James I'm reading says he built a house upon the earth without a foundation. The old King James says he built it upon sand. Now these uh, words that Jesus, are recorded of Jesus, uh, are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest recorded discourse of Jesus in the New Testament, which covers three chapters. And it's very fitting that he end it with this illustration. Uh, because this requires action. Jesus, when he taught, usually had an emphasis on putting into practice what he had said. And usually there were three elements to the way that Jesus taught. There was illustration, application, and implication. He had given illustration, perhaps a parable or a short story. Then there would be application, there would be something practical in that that would be obvious that we would have to do. And then there would be implication, whether we did that or whether we didn't do that, whether we obeyed or disobeyed, there would be implications regarding that. And so he would start out with an illustration and a story, he'd give them the application, then he would mention implications. In James chapter 1, Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. And then in Ezekiel, which you don't need to turn to this, but in Ezekiel chapter 33, the Lord comes to Ezekiel in verse 30 and said, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Now, there's not a preacher in the country who wouldn't be glad to get that kind of uh, thing said to them. The people are talking about your preaching. They're talking about it in their house. They're talking about it in the street. And in fact, they want everybody to go and hear you. That sounds good, doesn't it? Until you read on. And so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. And so there's an emphasis throughout Scripture that it's not just enough to hear a sermon. It's not just enough to hear a teaching. The emphasis is, what can I do about this? Now we hear lots of preaching both in churches or on television or whatever, we've probably lost count of the number of sermons that we've heard. I've lost count of the number of sermons I've preached in 35 years. But how often do we actually do what we hear? Many years ago, a pastor told me, and he was a very able pastor, a great speaker. People loved to hear him preach. He said to me, David, people would sit and take notes continually. I preached on love, I preached on grace, I preached on mercy, I preached on compassion, and they would take reams of notes. And they would come to me after the sermon and say, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. Praise God, I really enjoyed that. Spoke to my heart. He says, until I was accused of something that I didn't do. And he says, all those folk that told me how much they enjoyed my preaching, they didn't show me any mercy or any grace or any compassion or any love. And I wondered, were you listening? <laughs> Did any of that penetrate at all? And so Jesus here, in fact, in chapter 7, he's warning about empty profession. People who just profess but do not possess what they profess. And so he warns about this. So this parable of the builders is to encourage doing, not just hearing. The illustration is very, very clear. There's no ambiguity. There's, no, there's nothing to misunderstand. It's crystal clear. 
the implications are very obvious. Two wise, two men, one wise, one foolish. Two houses built, one on stand, sand, one on the rock. One storm hits both houses, one house stands, one house falls. Clear, simple, easy to understand. He didn't mince his words. And so the lesson here is not up for negotiation. It's not up for discussion. Either a man is saved or he is lost. He's either going to heaven or he's going to hell. He's either obedient or he's disobedient. He's either building his profession of faith or it's either on the rock or it's on the sand. One or the other. In Matthew 7, Jesus speaks of two gates, two ways. The broad way and the broad gate that leads to destruction. The narrow way and the narrow gate that leads to life itself. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 9 encourages the people of God to choose life. Elijah standing on Mount Carmel said, Why do you halt between two opinions? Either let God be Lord or let Baal be Lord, but make up your mind. Jesus says a man can't serve two masters, either one or the other. Now the world doesn't like two options. The world doesn't like two ways. It likes lots of ways, lots of options, lots of boxes to tick, depending on your preference. But notice here how many times in Scripture God narrows everything down to two, one or the other. Not a dozen ways. Do you know it in Facebook recently? Well, this applies to all Facebook, which I suspect it does. You can have your gender described in 50 different ways. Can you believe that? I mean, who thinks these things up? You're either a man or you're a woman. 50 different ways to describe your gender. And there'll probably be more before it's over. Because the world doesn't like two choices. It likes more than that. We live in an age of moral relativism. In other words, our morals are relative to our circumstances or how we personally feel about it. Your morality may not be my morality. You can have your morality, but I don't believe that stuff. So I'll choose my own. I'll have my own set of rules, thank you very much. Nobody will impose their rules on me. That's the way the world is today. That's why it's so difficult for us as believers to try to talk about the Bible being the word of God. And here's what God says. Well, no, I know what God says. I mean, it's what I say and what I like and what I choose. I mean, take the whole thing today about gay marriage. The criteria today is two people love each other. What could be possibly wrong with that? We need more love in the world. And as long as two men or two women, as long as they love each other, why can't they get married? Who would argue with that? But that's not what the Bible says. Do you think it's going to stop there? Polygamy will be next. You can bank on that. In fact, it's already started. There are those who are pushing and saying, well, I want two wives. Sure, as long as we love each other, what's wrong with that? I would love two husbands. 
Somebody's looking at each other and thinking, no, thank you very much. One is enough. More than enough. But there are those who will push for that. And if the criteria is we love one another, what's the difference? What will be the difference whenever it comes into the family situation? What will be the difference if love is the criteria? So there'll be many choices. But the Bible narrows it down, doesn't it? The Bible narrows it down to two choices. Two houses built, one on the rock, one on the sand. Now here's the wise builder. Luke 6 and Matthew, Luke 6, 6 and Matthew 7. Here's the wise builder. Luke 6, it says he dug deep. Now this implies effort, work, discipline, self-denial. Now I've got a book at home of thousands of books, but of one that describes traditions and, and, and customs and cultures in the, in the eastern lands. And I just happened to check up about building the house. And the man said that in eastern lands particularly, that in order to get to the rock, sometimes they have to dig as much as 30 feet to get down to the bedrock. And then they will build up the sides till they come to the top. That's a lot of effort, isn't it? That's a lot of work to do just to get down to the bedrock. But the wise builder dug deep. Building a good spiritual foundation in your life doesn't come easily. It's not easy to deny self. It's not easy to take up your cross and to follow him. It's not easy often to say no when everybody around you is saying, go ahead. It's not easy to say yes when everybody around you is saying no. Not easy to deny self. But if we're going to build our lives a good spiritual foundation, then that's going to require some disciplines in our lives. On top of that, you're going to face the world, the flesh, and the devil. This man used wisdom. He had some foresight. He knew that eventually storms would come. And he was going to prepare for the storms that would come. He was going to build on that rock, no matter how long it took to dig down deep, no matter how hard it was to dig it, he was going to do it. Because he knew he needed a strong foundation before the storms would come. We all know what storms of life are like. We all get them. And as a believer, you will have a storm in your life at some point or other. And if you have dug deep and built a good spiritual foundation, then when the storms do come, you'll still stand. Amen? Nick Faldo, probably arguably the best English golfer that ever has been, won six majors, 40 tournaments around the world. From the late 70s to the early 80s, he was the up-and-coming young golfer. Brilliant player. Was winning tournament after tournament. One year he won five European tournaments. Uh, he was the talk of the golfing world. 
But in his mind, even though he was very good, he was top of the money list in Europe, winning all these tournaments, but in his mind, he felt that to win a major, he would have to change his technique. Everybody thought he was mad. I mean, he was winning everything. All over the place. The old saying, if it's working, don't fix it. But he decided it was working, but to play in a major with the big boys, with the best players from all over the world, under that intense pressure, when it comes to the last day and the last few holes, and you're up there, you're in the, in the race, when it comes to that position, you better have a swing, a technique that's not going to let you down. It better be solid. So he decided that he didn't have that. He went to a top golf coach at that time. And he said, I want you to observe me. And the man said he had a beautiful swing. But he says, I immediately saw some flaws that were fixable. He told Nick Faldo, he says, listen, I'm going to work with you. And I'm going to iron out these flaws. But, he said, for the next while, he says, you'll play terrible. You'll not be winning anything for a while. You can be sure of that. But if you persevere and you keep at it, your game will be immeasurably better. And that's exactly what happened. For the next three years, he didn't win a thing. And everybody thought he was mad. Why in the world did he change? What's he doing? He's ruining his whole career. And after three years, he won the Spanish Open. Three months later, he won his first major at Muirfield. He was to go on to win five more. Became a legend in golf. Because he knew that when the pressure was on in the big games, mentally, emotionally, physically, he had to have a swing that would stand the test. So he built a solid foundation and it stood the test. Sooner or later, stuff is going to happen. It's going to test your profession of your faith. For some Christians, it happens almost as soon as they get saved. For others, it's down the road a bit. But it will come sooner or later. And if you've built a foundation, you'll stand. When others may fall, you will stand. Jesus talked about the parable of the sower. He talked about the seed being the word of God and all of those soils being the hearts of men, conditioned of men's hearts. In Matthew 13, 20, 21, he said, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, no foundation, but endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So we need a good foundation. We need to build it. Notice here he built upon a rock. Christ and the word is the rock. Sometimes Jesus himself is described as the rock. And sometimes it's his word in this particular passage we read, it's his word. 
Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. Now, there is a sense that you can't separate Jesus from his words. His words reveal who he really is. In fact, he's called the word as well, isn't he? But many errors in the church today, most errors, in fact, in the church today are the results of people who are not building upon the words of Christ. Or they're taking the words of Christ and they're twisting them to suit their own notions and ideas. But if we build upon the words of Christ, most New Testaments you get today have the words of Christ in red letters. Isn't that so? And, and that's good as far as it goes, but you need to watch that. If you just read, if, you just, if that's all you need to read those red letters, so well, these is the words of Christ, you've got to see the context of what he's saying, who he's saying it to, when he said it. Then you get the full impact of it. And then there's the foolish builder. He built his house upon the sand. No foundation, no digging needed, no effort required, no sweat incurred. <laughs> Just put the house up. He must have looked at his neighbor and thought, what an idiot. He's out there every day digging that big hole. Where does he think he's going to end up in Australia down there? I mean, look at the depth of that hole. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to build in the sand. What harm could there be in that? Instant gratification. Immediate results. Didn't want to wait or be patient or work hard. Sounds like a lot of us today, isn't it? We want the latest, the quickest, the slickest. <laughs> we want the shortcut, the fast track, the quick fix. Beware of the shortcut when it comes to your spiritual life. There are no shortcuts in the spiritual life. Do you remember whenever Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness to tempt him? Basically, he was asking him to take a shortcut. Now, Jesus, you've been out in this desert for 40 days and 40 nights. You haven't eaten anything. You're starving. Your hunger has come back with a vengeance because afterwards he hungered. Why don't you just turn the stones into bread? Why wait another three or four days to get back to civilization? Wait all of that time. You've already waited 40 days. You know, just go ahead. Just turn the stones into bread. Take a shortcut. Jesus says no. Take a no shortcut. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Took him up into the pinnacle of the temple. Says, cast yourself down. Sure, the Bible says the angels will swoop in and just gather you up before your feet hits the deck. That's a paraphrase of mine. In other words, let everybody see who you really are. You're the Messiah? Prove it. Show it. I mean, everybody, that, I mean, do it right in the town, right in the temple where everybody's gathered. They'll all see you. You'll have no trouble then convincing anybody because they'll see what you have done. Go ahead. Take a shortcut. Did Jesus take the shortcut? No. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Took him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and says, all these will be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Just one time. 
You think they're going to be yours? You maybe have to wait a long time. Just bow down today. Just once. Just worship me. It'll be all yours. Shortcut. No shortcuts in the spiritual life. But Jesus didn't take that shortcut either. Sure he didn't. He gave him a short answer, didn't he? And then the devil moved away for a season. And he comes to you and he comes to me with shortcuts. This is how you do it. You don't need to read the Bible much. You don't need to pray, go to church much. I mean, you can worship God out in the field. You just go along, take a walk along the beach, beach and just worship God, the great creator. Well, let's see where your spiritual life will go in six months of that. Not very far, other than downward. But you see, he will offer you the shortcut. Take time to get, listen young people especially, take time to get the right partner. Otherwise you've got the rest of your life to live with regrets. Take time to get the right partner. No matter how long it takes, get the one that God has got for you. There's seven billion people in the face of the earth. Surely out of seven billion, God's got one for you, has he? You think so? But maybe you're in a big hurry. The years pass by. The fear of being left on the shelf. The trouble is sometimes then people just jump in. The first one that comes along gives them a wee bit of attention. They just grab them think, this is it. Live a life of regrets. A lot of young Christians today are sleeping with each other. That shock you? Doesn't shock me in the least. Taking the shortcut. Well, I want to be sure if we're compatible and we both love the Lord and we love each other. What could be the harm? It's against what the Bible teaches. Totally against what Scripture teaches. So that's going to be no shortcut. Keep your integrity. Keep your sanctity. The foolish builder got what he wanted in life. He got it a whole lot quicker, but it didn't last. It fell at the first storm. John Tillotson said these words. He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. Isn't a good statement? Read that again. He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. And this man, Jesus said, was foolish. If you look up the word, it's where we get the word moronic from. A moron. Foolish to the extreme, Jesus was saying. Now when these two houses were built, and let's assume they were standing side by side, for the passerby looking, 
they probably looked maybe exactly the same. A door, two windows, a roof, side walls, back door, just ordinary looking houses. Maybe looked exactly the same. Maybe just built the same way. And for the passerby, for all they knew, it could have been the same builder because they looked the same. But they weren't the same builders. Two different entirely builders. One wise, one foolish. It was only when the storm showed up that the difference showed up. It's only when the task came that the difference showed up. You know, there's lots of churches then, there's people sitting in them. And they've been sitting in them for years. Some of them may be singing in the choir. Some of them actually may be working in the church. And to the average person looking at them, they look spiritual. They look godly. But are they saved? They may love the church. They may love the choir. They may love the job they're given. But are they saved? Are they born again of God's spirit? That's what makes the difference. Not what it looks like on the outside. What kind of foundation is their life built on? And that's what made the difference here, wasn't it? Jesus knew that his audience had both types. Those who were building a foundation, a spiritual life on a good foundation, and those who really were foolish and had no foundation. You think of the many people that followed Jesus. And yet when Jesus put the pressure on, when he began to spell out the cost of following him, many, many left him. Even those who called him thought they were his disciples, many left him. To the point where he turned around to his close disciples and said, will you also go away? <laughs> trying to get them to build on a proper foundation. And then there was a storm. Storms often reveal more about our lives than the sunshine. Don't you know that? Everything's easy in the sunshine, isn't it? John Denver used to sing the song, Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. For most people it does, doesn't it? You're on easy street. The sunshine. Everything's going well. You got the job, it's working good, you get good pay, great marriage, wonderful kids, your careers took off, wonderful. Anybody can enjoy that. But it's whenever the storm comes, that's what reveals our foundation. And this storm came. It says the rains descended, the floods rose up, and the wind beat vehemently against it. Notice how it attacked them three ways. Did you ever get one of those prayers and it seems to be, <laughs> it's not just one thing coming against you, it seems the kitchen sink's coming against you. Everything's coming against you. Every way you look, the wind was strong, vehement. This was like a typhoon. This wasn't just a wee breeze. A wee bit of wind last night. I thought my bins were going to go for a burden again because my bins is a habit of taking off up the driveway. 
have got bungee ropes on them now. Because one night it was lashing rain and I heard the bin and I jumped out of bed and ran out and there was the bin going up the street with all the stuff in it going up the street. It was not a pleasant sight. By the time I gathered that all was soaked with skin. So I've got bungee ropes on my bins now. There's a tip for you. Top tip. Get bungee ropes for your bin. Keeps everything in place. <laughs> but this was a real storm. This was the big one. And not only that, the floods rose. Must have been built near a river somewhere. And the floods rose. And the rains were coming down like steroids. These young ones wouldn't know what steroids was. The older ones would know that. <laughs> Sometimes I say things, you know, and I forget my age. But it was the same for the two men. It's the same for their both houses. Same storm, same wind, same rain, same flood. Sometimes Christians go through exactly the same things that those out in the world go through. No different. Same problems, same trials, same issues, same difficulties. But will our house stand? It will if we have the foundation right. And Jesus is trying to teach these people to make sure that your profession of your faith is built on a secure foundation. The two houses, one stood, Luke 6.38, and it could not shake it. It was solidly built. It had a deep foundation. It had stout walls. It wasn't going to move about on the sand because it was on a rock. And it stood. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 25. See that ye do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall they, we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And only that which is built on the rock of Christ and his word will stand. That's what he's trying to teach. In Acts chapter 20, we'll be through just in a moment. Paul speaking in verse 22 of Acts 20 said, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. Paul could say that because he had built his life on an absolutely solid foundation. One stood the wise man's house. There was shelter in this house. There was salvation. There was safety in this house. But one fell. And the rain descended. The floods came. The winds blew and beaten that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. Great was its fall. No matter how well built it was on the outside, above the earth, no matter how stout the walls were, it was not good enough to withstand this storm because the foundation was not there. When the rains came, and the floods came, the sandy foundation was washed away. It was gone. In minutes, it was gone. And it fell. Very often we see, do we not, particularly in third world nations, where there's a lot of poverty and people just cannot afford to build good, decent housing. The trouble comes when there's a typhoon, a landslide, an earthquake, then there is no way those little homes are going to be able to withstand that because they're just swept away because there's no foundation. And Jesus is warning here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount after preaching his longest message recorded, three chapters full of it, of all kinds of wonderful teaching to make sure they weren't just hearing it but they were going to put into practice what they had heard. He ends up talking about these two builders. One wise, one foolish. One house stood, one house fell. Two choices. We build our lives upon the foundation of the word of God and on Jesus Christ. And if we do that bit by bit by bit by bit, and it's going to take a long time to build a solid foundation. If we do that, then when the storms of life come, the grace of God will keep us. Say, well, what about a new Christian who hasn't time? The grace of God will keep them too. But for those of us who's been on the road a long time, then we have to make sure our foundation is right. All kinds of winds of doctrines are floating about today. Make sure you've got a sound, solid foundation. All kinds of choices of lifestyles are going about today. Make sure yours is the Bible one. Because then your house will stand and your life will stand. Amen? Let's pray.